This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is April 2nd, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Awesome. So my name is Sarah Hendricks, and I was at WRHU from 1998 to 2001. Okay. What shows and programs did you work on at the station? I worked on so many programs at the station. Mm -hmm. I started off on Juggling Time, which is my baby. It's the Jamaican Island Caribbean show with Professor X. And I'm still trying to find Professor X, guys. Um, He was my mentor for the show. He was the producer of the show. Um, And he really just really molded me on the show. We did Juggling Time. And then I started to produce P5, which ultimately became the Hip Hop Underground Basement. Um, And I also did the morning show with Basha, who is a light to everyone Mm -hmm. who knows her. And I did Newsline. Wow, that's quite a few programs. Did you do any of the weekend uh, programming or any of the community fair stuff? I only did the um, community affair shows when it was time to raise money Mm -hmm. for our fundraisers. And also we did a lot of marches and we were out in the field a lot. So those were the times that I did community affair shows. Okay. Did you have any titles or positions at the station? Too many. <laughs> <laughs> I was community director. Um, I sat on the EB with um, a few different titles on the EB, but most memorable was community affairs director. And I was on the oh. board my whole career at WRHU. Wow. We'll have to talk more about that. When you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or on-air personas? Yeah. You know, I saw that question and I was like, I can't believe that was my name. My name was Red Hot. So my target audience was island people, Caribbean people, you know, reggae show. So my name was Red Hot. It was, and we had promos made Red Hot. It was crazy, but my name was Red Hot. Wow. Did you ever use your, your given name on the air or just, just by that? Only on the morning show was I Sarah Hendricks, but for every other programming, it was Red Hot. Wow. Wow. Very cool. All right. I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go along, but I'd like to start at the beginning. What was it that first brought you to Hofstra Radio? And if you could describe what the station was like, or maybe people that you met, what was going on when you first arrived at the station? When I first got to Hofstra Radio, it was actually during uh, one of the tours at Hofstra. They did a lot of tours. They still do a lot of tours. And when I saw the radio station, I was like, oh, my God, I got to get on radio. I came to Hofstra to be a journalist. I wanted to be like Christian Anamampour, and I wanted to do journalism. So the radio station was just like a natural for me. I met Bruce at the time, and there was something about him. He just felt like... uh, a figure, a father figure, a mentor. And I like what they were doing. At that time, we did a ton of remotes. We did a ton of activities and I wanted to be a part of it. And I just jumped right in. So when I got into the station, we had sports, we had news, we had remotes, we had live broadcasting, and it was a lot of different things buzzing at the time. It was like, if you weren't at the radio station, like, where were you? We didn't have the TV station as of yet. Um, The studios were being built when I was at Hofstra. So all those Dempster rats didn't really have a place to land. Um, as they do now, which the television production is amazing. But the studios and the radio station was where you needed to be because we had so many different things happening at one time. 
interesting. I graduated in 94, and we had just moved from Memorial Hall to what I still call the new studios uh, at the Dempster Annex, and now it's now the name has changed. But for most of my time at Hofstra, the TV studios at Dempster were the thing. So you're saying that while you were there, the TV studios weren't really uh, available at all? They were rebuilding, or what was going on? Yeah, so when I was there, the studios were being remodeled because when I got to my senior year, I did a talk show in the brand new studio. Wow. Um, and it was so cool. It was like I wanted to be a talk show host. And um, we got the studios out. So they were under construction and you just had to be at the radio station. So yeah, when I was there, the studios, it was like one studio and it just wasn't really buzzing the way the radio station was buzzing. Huh. I wonder if that had an effect on membership at the radio station, that more people were drawn to what was going on there because those were newer facilities. Yeah. I think I think that had an effect on membership, but also at the time radio was king. You know, at the time you had leaders of radio like Wendy Williams. You know, people could actually tell you who they wanted to be. I wanted to be Wendy Williams, obviously. <laughs> um, but you had C one hundred, the morning crew, Steve Harvey, like people actually woke up, listened to the radio, and then they came to RHU to become what they were listening to. So it was really clear to identify leaders in the radio industry and then people wanting to emulate those leaders um that was also a big thing on bringing people into the station now with social media influencers yada 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 people really don't have those iconic staples drive time radio um that they can sit and say i want to be this person hmm so when you first came to Hofstra, were you aware of the radio station? I actually was not. I came to Hofstra because I just wanted to do journalism. I heard they had a journalism program. And on the tour, I found out about the radio station. And in passing, Bruce said to me, oh, you can apply in the summer. So the summer, like I was coming in the fall. Mm -hmm. So my parents brought me back in the summer to apply so that I can start like the training class in the summer and then just get, get rolling in the fall. So that's what I did. I, my parents like brought me <laughs> in the summer to go to the class. And when I started in the fall, I was just like, I hit the road running. So I didn't know about it until it was, you know, until we came for that. Wow. And, and, and you just jumped right in and, and got going. Let's talk about that training class a little bit. What was that like? What do you remember from that? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I remember absolutely nothing. I mean, other than it taught me how to get on the microphone, um, to use the emergency beeper, how to not say profanity, um, <laughs> do not lose this license or we will be kicked off campus. I remember nothing else. So it was it, all I re I left that class going, don't lose the license. Don't lose the license. Don't curse on air and use the emerg emergency beeper. <laughs> and don't let strangers in the building push the buzzer for safe security uh security. Those seem like important things. I think I think you remembered something. It's not nothing, but was it still called the parachute? Yeah, the parachute. It was okay. the parachute. But yeah, get on the parachute um if there's a problem. So yeah. Wow. And who taught the class? It was Bruce. It was Bruce and um, Ed. 
it was Bruce Ed leadership, some student leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was Bruce and Ed who taught the class that summer. Okay. Um, so was it a once a week class or was it short yeah. and because of the summer? It was once a week for like about, I would say seven weeks or so, but it was long. Mm-hmm. It was like a couple of hours. It was like four hours or so. It was a long, um, a long class, but shorter time. Okay. And so during that time, you would have been doing some tracking hours and some practicing and yep. getting ready to be cleared. Do you remember taking a test? I took the test. Yes. Um, I took the test and I passed it, but I did my tracking. I did my test. I did all of that over the summer. Okay. So I don't know if you remember exactly when, but I often ask, do you remember your first time on the air? And if not this most specific time, what were your feelings? What were you thinking about as you were getting ready to go on the air? Oh my God. This is such a brilliant question. My God. I don't remember. I think the first time I went on air, it had to be either the morning show with Basha or juggling time with Professor X. And I was scared because I was scared more of not sounding well. But once you get on the air and and what I appreciate so much about WRHU and what Bruce built and what Bruce has done is it really was a place for you to learn how to get your personality. So I learned how to be a news anchor, how to be a radio DJ. You know, I could do, I can easily play any of those roles and personalities um, because of my time at WRHU. So I would have to say my first time on air, my God, this is such a brilliant question. I don't remember, but it would have to be either juggling time or on the morning show. And I know I would have been scared, but I know that Basha or Professor X made me feel extremely comfortable. And I remember Basha always saying, pretend you're talking to a long lost friend. Hmm. Pretend you're talking to someone that you have not spoken to in a long time and you have all these juicy details you want to tell them. And that made me feel comfortable and that allowed me to really start showing my personality. That's really great advice. And to work with Basha at the beginning of your career, did you what what were your impressions of her? What was the show like? What what was going on there? I I, I want to know so much about this. T- tell me more about working with Basha. Yeah, I would have to say I feel really really sad for people who don't get to work with Basha. Mm. And I feel really sad for people who don't get to work with Bruce and people who don't get to work with Professor X. And the reason why is because now on this side, as a professional, as an adult, because I was a teenager, I was literally 17 Mm. or 18 when I got to college, I was young um, because I like skipped a grade or whatever. Um, I didn't understand. I was just experiencing it because I'm Caribbean. So we're taught to be respectful of your elders. Mm -hmm. So you just do as you're told. You don't really ask questions. Um, So I just did things because they told me to do them. I never really questioned why I was doing it. But on this side of the fence, I would have to say it was probably the most powerful times of my life because Basha is one of the most 
one of the very best interviewers you will ever meet. We would do book interview after book interview after book interview. And I'm telling you today, I can interview a paper clip and it would be the best interview you've ever heard. Hmm. And I learned that from Basha. It's funny. I just spoke to Basha yesterday to interview her for this project. And one of the things that she said that she learned along the way was how to listen to what people are saying. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's part of what you would have picked up on. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, you ask a question, shut up. And that's what she would say. Ask a, ask a question, zip it. Because a lot of times what I'm seeing from the newer students and this newer crew is that they, they're not listening to the answers. They're still reading from the paper and the person answered the question 10, 10 questions ago. Um, but yeah, she's a master interviewer, master interviewer. I think some of that comes with practice when you're new, you're so nervous and you want to, like you said, follow the rules. And here's a mentor who'd been in broadcasting for, for years and she's showing you the way, what a, what a valuable, what a wonderful experience that was for you. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, when I was in it, I was in it. But now that I can look back and you're asking this question, that really, I can see how much that shaped me as a broadcaster. It really set a powerful foundation for me. So when do you think you've started to feel comfortable on the air? Like you you really knew what you were doing, that you had taken these lessons and said, uh, I can do this on my own. I want to keep doing this. I would have to say my second year at the station, my freshman year was like really learning the pits of the station, the ins and out of the station. Like I said, when I got to Hofstra, we were doing a lot. We did a lot of remotes. We did a lot of live events. We were on air. Um, We did a ton of fundraisers. We did a lot of those types of community-led, community-driven events. Um, So my second year, I was like, oh, I know what we're doing. It was like riding a bicycle. Hmm. And I started to develop a personality um, because your radio personality and your personality are two different people. For me, it was two different people. Um, so I kind of started to create a persona, a person, an identity. And my second year at the station was when I really started to build and develop that persona. Is that when you started using the name Red Hot? Yeah. Yeah. My second my second year, I became Red Hot. Could you talk a little bit more about developing that, that persona and, and what your inspirations were? Yeah. So, you know, especially with juggling time, I became... Um, Professor X was a graduate student at the time that we were doing the show. So we knew that he wasn't going to be there for a long time anyway. So he was going to be there for about two years and I was going to be there for four years. So my second year was his last year. So he had already cultivated a strong listening audience of the show. So juggling time went from a ska show to a full out dance hall show. Hmm. And at the time dance hall music was so hot. It was so the thing in New York. Um, We started to get really big interviews. We were going to big events 
And I needed a persona. I couldn't just be Sarah going to VP Records opening party, Def Jam opening party. I needed to be someone. Um, and again, following the footsteps of um, other great, you know, radio personalities, um, I needed to become someone. So Red Hot was that someone. She was the girl who did events. I started to do events <laughs> because I was on the radio. Um, I started to go to, um, I would go to different listening events for record labels. Um, Studio One, which is a big dance hall company and production house is in Long Island. VP Records, which is a huge reggae label is in Queens. So I would constantly get invitations and invites and somebody had to show up (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't going to be Sarah. Um, So Red Hot went and it fit me. It fit the energy that I had. It fit the persona that I became. And that's when she came. So that last, my second year, going into my third year, when Professor X did leave and I cried my eyes out, um, it was like a rite of passage. Hmm. I could do this now. Wow, that's pretty powerful. You mentioned your family earlier, your your folks bringing you to the station during that first summer. Were they able to hear this? Were they able to hear you on the air? Yeah, so for a long time, the signal went to Brooklyn. My dad played the show in his business, my cousins in Long Island. So yeah, everyone listened. And most recently I went back and I was a community volunteer and I went back and I did the same show, Juggling Time, um, with you know the help of Bruce. And then I also did um, another show and I had family listen um, in England and Canada via streaming because now we're streaming. But when I was in school, my family listened uh, to us just by, you know, 88.7 FM. Yeah. So that must have been fun for them to hear a, a different side of your personality. Um, no, because that's Sarah. They knew, my parents always knew I was something. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know what it was, but it, it was like, oh, there, that's, that's what it is. You know, it's like you have this kid and she's so much. And you're like, okay, wh- what are we, what are we putting her into? And I'm the, I'm the child of immigrants, so broadcasting wasn't really a field that many immigrants got into. So when I got into broadcasting, it was like, oh, this, I get it. She's not gonna be an, a nurse, a doctor. She's a TV person. Okay, we get it. Cool. Yeah. So that's what it was like for them. So you've mentioned Professor X. You talked a little bit about Bruce Avery. Who else was around that helped you get started at the station and make you feel comfortable? Um, God, <laughs> a lot of students. The one thing I miss tremendously um, about that time, like I, I tell people, I've had a wonderful life. I've had such a good life. But my college and my high school years were freaking epic. Um, Bruce was a very huge part of my college life and my adult life. And we'll talk about him later. But Mike DiProtrillo, Casey, Andrew Gladding, Casey Miles, Andrew Gladding, Angela Pardos, um, Daniel DeLillo. Gosh, 
so many people. We we were a family within a family within a family, right? Mm-hmm. We loved, hated each other. We competed with each, with each other. But, you know, Sean Novat, it was just such a beautiful time. We had each other's backs. Um, it was competition. It was friendly. It was everything all, all rolled in one. I really would not have had such an amazing experience if it wasn't for those. Brian Lucrezia um Tammy there's so many so many so many so many Hofstra friends that we just made I made friends and bonded with um yeah those people uh a few times that I I I had the chance to talk with Bruce about this and his philosophy about the station he talked about and you mentioned a couple of these things this sort of the the idea of teamwork and the idea of competition and the idea of building uh, a solid citizen, someone who's willing to partake in things. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you know, we knew that we all were there to become broadcasters. We knew that we all were there to um, become the best of version our, of ourselves. But at the same time, we supported friendly competition. Um, people like Dave Plotkins, um, Cheryl, Sankata, Um, God, there's so many people. So we created an environment where we're both going for the job, but if one of us gets the job, we're happy, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't nasty competition. It was, what can we do to make the next person better? And at least a Hofstra person got it. Mm -hmm. That was the mindset. So we always did things in the mindset of, I want the position, but I'm going to be excited if you got the position. And at the same time, I'm going to do my very best to help you become your very best. If you have a remote, if you have a live event, if you have a show, I'm going to show up for you as if I was showing up for myself. That's how I felt when I was at the school. We always did things in support of each other. How much of that do you think was the particular group of people and how much of that is coming from Bruce and Ed and the other station leadership? I would say 90, let me be fair. Mm-hmm. I would say 80% came from Bruce's style of picking people. One thing a lot of people don't realize because Bruce was very quiet is Bruce is a mastermind he knew how to select people. Everyone gets an opportunity, but not everyone gets to lead. You had to have a certain quality to be a leader. And he was impeccable at putting teams together. And um, I think a lot of it was his design. And the rest was we, our generation this generation is a whole new generation, honey. Hmm. But our generation was a different generation. And I think we didn't have a social construct that this generation has to deal with, but we genuinely had a construct of love and caring for each other, the golden rule. We really implemented do unto others that we would have done to ourselves. 
And I feel the thing that this generation struggles with is they have a social media overload. Social media is great, and I'm not here to debate that, but I feel like everyone's trying to do the next thing to be viral, and there's not this slowing down of being in the moment, being aware, and really understanding that every action has a reaction. So I would say a lot of it is Bruce's design, and it played out beautifully. And then the other part was we genuinely were genuine people. We weren't doing things for clout, for views, for likes, or to be viral. That's very powerful. Thank you for for sharing that that insight. And I think I think throughout the generations, there's always been um, this idea of helping the next generation. Well, we got to this point, whether it's the Jeff Krause era in the 1970s and 80s, or into the Bruce Avery era. I think there's this continuing con- uh, tradition throughout Hofstra Radio, but uh, the way you articulated that and talked about uh, Bruce's impact is uh, is really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, it seems like, if I, can, if I can guess, it seems like you were pretty comfortable socially at the station pretty early on. Super, super comfortable. Is that, is that fair to I say? I there. Yeah. <laughs> Did that affect your, your class choice? Because a lot of people get involved in the station right away and they say, well, we're going to, I'm going to change my major or change the classes that I'm taking. No, I mean, life is so funny. Like I still did television and television was brutal. Um, I still did. It was just so brutal. Um, I still, I did television and then I graduated with a speech, uh, a degree in speech, speech communications, rhetorical studies. Um, but I think all of that is like, honestly, BS right now. Like when I look back at it, if you're not in like engineering or any, or any, science related degree, like all of that is just wishy-washy because you're going to come out and do something else anyway. So I spent my whole career in radio. I thought I was going to be a radio superstar and I only got jobs in television, like go figure. Right. Hmm. So I didn't change my major. I didn't change anything. I stayed on path. I felt like I was getting what I needed from radio, um, the training, the exposure, um, the Acclamen, I was already interviewing celebrities, going to celebrity events. Um, so that filled a big part of my life. Um, so yeah, no, nah, I didn't change anything. I have to ask, when you say the TV part was brutal, what does that mean? It was brutal. Like I like I was like a, a C student in television. Like I was like, what is going on here? Um <laughs> It was pathetic. The classes were just like, it just wasn't working for me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I know in some courses or in some some parts of study for TV, they required a ton of hours or you had to do certain projects. It just, it just wasn't working for you generally. It just, yeah. Like I just, I felt like the professors and I weren't on the same page. Um, I remember I took some courses with John Savali and we both bombed and we were like, what the hell? But now that I look back as an adult, um, there was just a lot of things in the television program I feel should have really, I should have advocated better for myself. Um, and the curric- the curriculum, yeah, you know, 
That's all I'll say. All right. All right. Fair enough. So we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of all these friendships and relationships and experience from your time at Hofstra Radio and beyond. But can you go back into your mindset at, at 17, at 18 years old, as you're taking that training class, perhaps in that summer before your freshman year, what did you hope Hofstra Radio would mean for you? And what did it become? Um, I had no idea what it would mean. It would mean for me. I literally thought that the radio station was going to be this cool hobby. You know, I didn't get to do the sorority thing. So in, you know, being an African-American woman and coming from a Caribbean background, I wanted to be in a specific sorority, which is Delta, 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 Theta, Theta. And they were not on campus. They didn't get on campus until my last year. And all of my friends were pledging alpha, pledging whatever. And I was the radio girl. I lived at the station. I literally slept there. It became my everything. And um, when I went there, I didn't know it was going to be what it became. Um, So I found myself at the radio station. I found my voice, my identity, my personality, my calling, my everything at the radio station. Um, When I left the station, I realized that I am a voice. I'm a personality. I'm a journalist. I'm a broadcaster. And that's what I left the, the radio station knowing. But I walked in not knowing what I, what it was going to be. I thought it was just going to be another fun thing to do. And I would, you know, eventually get into a sorority or something, but that never matriculated. Because you found your, your home at the radio station. Yeah. It was everything for me. I made friends. I made partnerships. I made everything was at the radio station versus my, all of my girlfriends who were pledging AKA who were, you know, spending their times doing drills and all this other stuff, I did not have that. I had radio. And it was even more fun because I'm at the time I was interviewing DMX and all these rappers and I was being called to, like I made a really good relationship with Def Jam and I interviewed SWV. I interviewed Destiny's Child before they were Destiny's Child. So who, who wants to do a stupid college party when you're hanging with celebs? Wow, and who could have predicted when you when you first showed up on that tour and met Bruce that all this would have been possible? No clue. Wow. Well, Sarah, this has been so much fun. I've been grinning ear to ear the whole time. Um, I'm working on some more questions. I hope you have some more stories, and maybe we can do this again sometime. I would love to talk to you again, and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for putting this together. It is such a joy when someone can become a historian for a certain period of your life. And I really want to thank you for that. And also, I know you are the last person to talk to Bruce, my mentor, um, my second father. So I want to thank you for accomplishing that conversation as well.